0: I guess. Okay. Good morning, Saints. Good morning. Good morning. After such robust singing this morning, praising Him, what a joy it is. Singing about His unsearchable ways. You know, the uh, subject that we're going to be talking about, that we're getting ready to look at today, may be the highest of all of God's doctrines. That's how far we're going to go with this, and it's actually unfathomable. But uh, that's what we're going to try to understand as much as we can, even though it's unsearchable. We are in the midst of uh, what could be called a mini-series as uh, we take a really good look at uh, this doxology uh, right at the end of Romans 11, uh, 33 through 36. We began last week in verse 33. Uh, Doxology, it means uh, glory, certainly this passage is one of the most glorious praises in all of the Bible. Each phrase, every little word, every letter is voluminous as we take a little bit of time to stop and smell the roses. It's beautiful there where we're at. After we had studied 11 chapters of high, high doctrine, and then we finished it with that uh, course out of... 1 through 11 is 9 through 11, that high doctrine of what about Israel. And uh, of course, we grazed through all of that that God had given us. And uh, we have to be in awe of God with all of this tremendous truth that He has given us. Uh, God worked through Paul, inspiring him to pin down these amazing, brilliant uh, words that are put in this epistle to the Romans. This is absolute deep theology. And uh, we we dare to go there. Uh, God has revealed through Paul a lot of things that only God's people can understand, of course. And after we see that, after we see 11 chapters, how can we not just stand back and say, oh, the depths of the ridges, the knowledge... Wisdom of God, how unsearchable are His judgments and unfathomable His ways, His methods, the way that He does it. It's so profound, we cannot fathom all of this. It is deep. How can we ever get to the far reaches, to the highest dimensions? How can we do that? We can't. These doctrines are so immense, we sometimes don't know what we really have in our hands when we're reading the Bible. And it is dynamite. It's so powerful. And whenever it's presented to us by the Holy Spirit to get us to understand the things of God, we still know it's absolutely unsearchable and inscrutable to arrive at the very deep depths that God has. It takes an eternity to get there. How about that? Uh, Yet, we want to glean from this passage. It's a little small section, 33 through 36. Again, today we're on verse 33 such precious treasures that are found here. And we get to worship God by reading these and thinking on these things deep. We get to worship Him and give glory to Him because that's really what it is all about. Amen. Now, we looked at the term last week, riches. Riches. And uh, by looking at Ephesians and other passages, uh, we came to the conclusion that uh, somewhat that means His grace and mercy. The riches of His grace and mercy, those riches can go on and on. By the way, it says it's unfathomable, so I'll just stay right there and not go any further with that. We also looked at knowledge and wisdom uh, that is who God is. Without God, there would not be any knowledge in the world. There would not be any wisdom at all. It all comes from Him. How incredible this first phrase is that we covered last week. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. That is just full of powerful revelation of God there, isn't it? It's tremendous about his attributes, when we look at the attributes of God, we sing a lot of those this morning. We sing about our great God. we sing that uh, Psalm 139. and this is praise, folks. This is the highest kind of praise that it's about. Uh, we are people who are not glorified, and we come show, so short of really giving him glory. One day we'll be able to give him a glory that we cannot even imagine here. But at the same time, we are very safe when we get into the Word of God and use those praises there to praise God. How can we fall short when we do that? And so it's incredible. We uh, know that uh, God is knowledge, He's also wisdom. J.I. Packer said wisdom is the power to see and the inclination to choose the best and highest goal together with the surest means of attaining it. He always attains his goals. If If we can even say that he has goals, he's already done it. He's there. But we admire God for this knowledge and wisdom for it is something that goes way beyond our thinking, but he actually shares his wisdom and knowledge with us. That's called communicable attributes. It's amazing that he would give us knowledge. It's why we have so much technology today. Uh, Technology comes from God. Some of it is used sinfully. Others are used for the glory of God. But He shares His riches of mercy and grace with us as communicable attributes. So we have this kind of nature that Christ has. We have a new nature in us. That's why we have the mind of Christ, which can understand some of these truths, but we can't go to the depth of them. We'd like to go further. And as you further your Christian walk, you will. You'll keep walking down in that journey and walking up and seeing the depths and the heights. Today we're going to peer into what I believe is to be, uh, as he says, unsearchable decrees. And we'll explain that. The decrees of God, unsearchable decrees and ways of God. That's why we say this is one of the highest doctrines that we can even get into. Most people do not want to touch this area. And so we're going to attempt that by the Holy Spirit to go as far as we can. Just not very far, but it's enough for us. Let's grab our Bibles and let's read this whole section and let's stand. After He has talked about, He has shut up everybody in disobedience. They're all sinners. He does that so He can show mercy. And then after that you go, Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God! Exclamation point. How unsearchable are His judgments and unfathomable his ways. Exclamation point. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who became his counselor, or who has first given to him that it might be repaid to him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Father, we just pray that as we stare into these truths, eternal truths that go so far beyond us, that yet we have the very Word of God here that speaks of who You are, Your nature, and we'll never be able to discover everything. No man has really seen God for all that You are, for if we did see You, we would all die in an instant. It's too much for us to get into those depths, the depths of the depths, but you sure allow us into eternal truths, and Lord, thank you for revealing those. That's why we are here, because we want to know you. And above all things, it's about giving you glory. That's why we want to know you better, so that we can give glory to you in a better way than we ever have. In our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Ah, We're getting near the end of Romans 11. I just don't want to leave there. That's why I'm hanging around there. And I think we would all agree it is awesome. You know what the chief end of this sermon is? (laughs) Glorify God. And if I have not studied and prepared for this and been joyous all week in getting into these deep mysteries and truths and treasuries, um, if I didn't do those kind of things, then I wouldn't be failing you in really getting to the very glory of God. That's what this sermon is about. Every message, every sermon that we do is to glorify God. Mm -hmm. Because everything is to do that. That's all of us. Even doing the most mundane things. Eating, drinking, washing the dishes, whatever it may be, that's all about the glory of God. Now, this subject that we're getting to look at, like I said, I think it could be the highest of all. Of God's doctrines. It is all about Him. And I know if you're out there waiting for some felt needs to be met, it's not there today. It's all about God. It's all about Him. That's what we're here for. How better, how much better could it be for all of us to glorify God by studying? and recognizing decrees of God. And you can say, well, that sounds like a seminary term. Well, actually, it's very basic, but deep. Because the decrees is what God does in all of His dealings. Not just with man, but throughout all the universe. For His glory, the decrees are there. Uh, The decrees means that God orders everything that happens. He orders it up. He's the one that does it. Everything. He ordains it all. That is the idea of decrees. He ordains it all to happen. What could be of more importance? What more things could be more important than that? That what God has done what He desires to do. Why is it that preachers of our day do not speak about these things? Why is it that I never heard about decrees whenever I went to Sunday school? Whenever I was eight years old, why didn't I know about decrees? I never heard the word. Why is it that I didn't hear about decrees of God whenever I went through junior high and high school and then in college I never heard a thing? I never heard of the thing of decree, I didn't know what it meant. Decrees of God? What is that? And so it was many years later, after my college years, that I realized this idea of the decrees is way beyond my thinking. But yet I wanted to know what kind of it means. Because I started to find out some of the greatest theologians that have ever lived always talk about the decrees of God. How can you miss it? How can, I would say, I would venture to say 99% of our pastors here in this city that we live in probably have never ever spoken about decrees of God. I could be wrong, but I don't think that be. I'm not even so sure that maybe you guys have been other churches have ever heard of decrees. It's possible, but not likely for most. And you'll know whenever we do the uh, confession of faith that you'll notice that we touch on decrees quite often and explains what decrees are. And so we want you to all know it's meant for little children all the way up through the people who just had birthdays and went into the ancient realm. (laughs) It's always good to know that, study it. Um, It's so high and it's so lofty. Why would you omit that? Which is some of the most basic things about God? The Westminster Confession is so good on this, and uh, our confession basically is the same thing there. Um, when Zach put that in a way, it was to be understood by, by us all, be taught to kids and uh, adults alike. And this is something will sound familiar, it probably sounds like scripture, The Confession really sums up scriptures in just a few short paragraphs, sentences. We say them, sometimes we'll say a whole sentence and it's like two slides worth. Isn't that just like the Puritans? Uh, This will sound familiar. It is a summation of scripture, but this comes out of the Confession. God from all eternity did by His most wise and holy counsel You've heard of the divine councils? It's put in a way that humans can understand. The divine councils is absolutely the whole trinity. And if we may, it's like they get together. It was never in time. It was never in space or in history. It was outside of time, but it's like the best way we can think about it is the triune God gets together in their councils. And it says by His most wise and holy counsel of His own free will, God's free will, freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. That means whatever He wants to come to pass will come to pass. There's no contingencies. There's nothing but what if it will happen. Yet so, as thereby, neither is God the author of sin. Because that's the next question one would ask, well then where did sin come from? I'm not here to tackle that today. It might be partly mentioned, but the thing is, is that while He ordains, yet He does not author sin. Nor is violence offered to the will of the creatures, nor is the liberty or contingency of second causes taken away, but rather established. And that's the confession. If you want to get into that deeper, go into the Westminster Confessions and actually, uh, I think, uh, I'm not so sure, uh, it it should be on our website. I'm not so sure if it's on there. We got attacked... a little over a year ago and we lost a lot of stuff so if you ever want it i'll tell you what go up to zach and he'll get you a copy of it <laughs> i actually have it on my computer and i'm always taking that off you know copying and pasting i'm so thankful for that that's how i put it on the bulletin there and such that wind up on the powerpoint uh, that being said the thing is is those truths are really precious aren't they so when we say those things, it's not foreign to you guys because we've already taught on it. We were in Romans nine, and we could not miss the decrees of God. And you're probably still saying this is way over my head. I can't understand this. So I'm gonna turn this off. This is too much. And it's not. It's meant for five year olds. We already looked at this. Uh, how unsearchable. We kind of looked at it last week. Oh, the depth of the riches. It's the depths that you cannot arrive at. Oh, how unsearchable are His judgments. How unsearchable, how unscrutable, how unfathomable, how incomprehensible, how not understandable they are. That means this is incredibly high. His judgments or his decrees. They're unsearchable. You can have all the investigations and examinations that you want, but you'll never be brought to a full understanding of it. It is beyond our comprehension, it's all beyond us. You can go far down in the depths, you can go way high in the heights. You'll never plumb to the depths. Never get to those heights. That's how incredible God is. That's why we want to talk about God. If we think on God, did you know everything else falls into place? If you think first of all on who God is, and that's theology, doctrine, high doctrine. If you have high doctrine, then this is how you live it. It's nice to be reminded this is how you live the Christian life and in a a couple of weeks or so we will get into that. We have 11 chapters of doctrine basically and then 12 through 16 five chapters there of how living it. And that's important. But you don't start with that stuff first. You start with who God is. That's what it's about everywhere. I think even a new Christian needs to know how big God is. And then when you say, hey, it's okay. Because you can't understand this anyway. <laughs> Fully. <clears throat> but it's a good place to start. Um, using that thought, unsearchable. Paul uses terms like that throughout his epistles. In Philippians 4.7, right after Ephesians. Philippians 4.7, you know this one. And the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension. You know, if you're a Christian, you have a peace that nobody can really understand, but it's there. It's incomprehensible. It's, it's beyond all comprehension. It surpasses that. That peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's not to say you shouldn't know anything about the peace of God, and the peace of Christ, and it is good enough right now. But to be thinking about how far that peace that He's given us makes you think, makes you want to dwell on that for a moment. Well, we can't because we're looking at this word unsearchable, so we go to Ephesians. And we go to chapter 3, verse 8. To me, the very least of all saints, Paul, this grace was given To proclaim to the Gentiles the good news of the, here's our word, unfathomable riches of Christ. I get this opportunity, Paul says, to go to the Gentiles and do this unfathomable preaching of the riches of Christ. Unfathomable, inscrutable, incomprehensible. Chapter 3, verse 19, another word like using that, and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. He prays that we would know the love of Christ, and he says it goes beyond your knowledge. It surpasses knowledge. But he wants you to know the deep, deep love of Christ, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. So he uses words like that. Words that just expand and take it to way past the limit. So Paul does that. And now we get into that word that says, How unsearchable are his judgments? Judgments. Judgments. Okay, everybody knows about judgments. And my translation and your translation probably says, Judgments. I don't know if anybody has something different. You might have it. But most translations will use that word. And the word is "krima." That's the root word out of that. And you can say, I don't care about that. And that's okay. You don't need to care about that. But uh, just to show you that in the Greek, it means to make a decision, a judicial decision, dealing with court, Somebody has committed a crime. There is a sin that has to be judged. God judges sin. And that's usually how we see the word crema in the New Testament. And that's perfectly right. Most of the time it is that way. But also it is found with a meaning that's basically the same, but let's shed a little bit more light on it. Cremata uh, judgments or decrees or ordinances, judgments. To make a judgment, there has been a decision that has been made. There is a decree that is made, an ordinance. Staying with the context of riches, wisdom, knowledge, judgments, his ways, it's very safe to say, that this word can mean decrees. doesn't always mean judging as in a court. Uh, it's a decision to ordain, to decree, and so that can help us as we go through here with this context. And either way, there's no problem with it, uh, understanding it with the judgment in uh, court. Uh, but I prefer decrees here because it leads right up to the next word, His ways or paths. And we'll, we'll uh, kind of study into that a little bit. Let's go into 1 Corinthians, which is the very next book over. It might just be a couple of pages or so. 1 Corinthians 2.2 2. Paul says, For I determined... I determined, that's our word, crema, to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. What he's saying here, that's what I preach. That's the instrumental part of my message that's the very basic. That's what everything revolves around the crucifixion of Christ. And, of course, that means a death, burial, resurrection of Christ, all that Christ is, all that God is, and it's the whole Bible. But I determined... I crema I made a decision to know nothing else not philosophies of the world I'm not going to preach that I made a decision I ordained to myself to preach that okay second corinthians the next book over chapter 2 verse 1 But I determined, there's our word again, this for my own sake, that I would not come to you again in sorrow. I ordained, I determined, I made a decision, I decreed that I was not going to come to you in sorrow again. As he wrote to the Corinthians, there were a lot of things that needed to be taken care of. And he says, I've now ordained that I'm not going to come like that to you again. I determined. Do you see how that word works that way? Even though it is that word judgment, he made a judgment, but it's better to see that decision or this decree. It's something that he sets forth to do and he will do it. He always does that. (coughs) So God's wisdom expresses itself In his decrees, we had, of course, wisdom, knowledge. Let's turn it around. You have knowledge, and then because of your knowledge, you know how to use the knowledge, you have wisdom. And that goes right into the next word because of this decree. Then it will determine the plans, the way that he does it. All four of these words... We're not just put out there to to be fancy, but they connect with each other. And that's why we're taking our time. Because it should make us think deeply. You know, it's hard work to think. And that's what we want to challenge ourselves, to think on God, to think. You know, you are what you think. You're thinking godly things. You're in the best position that you could possibly be right here on earth. Now... Let's go to Titus, chapter 3, verse 12. 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, chapter 3, verse 12. When I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, be diligent to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to follow Jesus. (laughs) I have (laughs) decided... No, we don't decide. Make a decision for Christ. Make a decision for Jesus. You've heard that all your life. He made the decision already. And so what he's saying here, I decreed, I decided to spend the winter there. I decreed, I ordained, I'm going to do this. He decided to do that. Now you get the word? That's why we're using this in Romans 11, not that it's wrong to say judgments, because the translations say that. They all say that. It's okay. But those, the decrees help define it, I think, better in this way. How does God express His wisdom? By His decrees. Because if He's all-knowing and then He is all-wise, because of this wisdom, then he, He expresses this wisdom by taking it in His decrees. Here are definite things that He's going to do. So those... Those two words, knowledge and wisdom, they're actually potential. You can have knowledge and wisdom, but not ever put it on display or use it. I mean, well, wisdom is using it, but in a way that might be pronouncing it to people to make it known. Uh, And this is where decrees come in. Knowledge and wisdom still needs to be carried out. And this is where the decrees come in. The potential now becomes actual. And this is putting it in human terms because it already says we can't know these things. Mm -hmm. The potential becomes actual as God expresses His wisdom in His decrees. He expresses His wisdom in His decrees and His decrees determine, Paul said He determined, His decrees determine the path. The decree determines the path or the method or the way. Does your translation have the way? I have way. That He's going to do it. And throughout human history. And we can look back through human history And we can see how God has done such things. It's incredible. How unsearchable are God's decrees. You like that? How unsearchable they are. Think about this. Okay, these are things that are unsearchable. You ready? Think about these, that they're unsearchable. Going into deep things. But it's unsearchable. Think about what God allows. Why did God allow evil? And like I say, my point isn't to try to do an exhaustive search on this. If God is perfect, people would ask, why would He allow sin to come into this world? Why does He allow evil? Why does He allow sickness? Why does He allow death? All those bad things, because God is good. God is gracious. God is merciful. God is love. And yet, if He is God, and He has all this power, why on this earth do we have sin? And, you know what? I have attempted to give reasons before, and... Some of them are okay. I can't ever get to the depth of it. I never feel satisfied with it. I know that in Romans 9 we covered that in that he demonstrates his wrath by bringing upon judgment upon the unbeliever. And that's to demonstrate his wrath, his justice, his holiness. And He demonstrates that. And He also at the same time, because of that, He demonstrates His grace, His mercy, His love for the ones that are His. <clears throat> Deep stuff. And finally it gets in to be a mystery. We only know some reasons, but can we really understand it all? That's where faith comes in. It's a mystery, but maybe in glory we'll understand much further than that. But I do know it's a good way to show off who he is by doing what he does. That, so, therefore, there's evil. Could God stop it? Could he have kept evil from happening? Well, I guess in some senses of a human thinking, I guess he could. He could stop anything. And he will. Amen. Sin will come to an end. Sickness, disease, death, that will all come to an end. So we know He has the power to keep that from happening. But yet, His will was not to stop it. Hmm. Is there some force outside of God? Now, second question is, why did God allow Satan to do what he did? Or let's go back to Lucifer, who praised God. He led praise there in the heavens. <clears throat> a universal praise. The morning stars or the angels saying, there's Lucifer in all his bright glory. Why did God allow Lucifer to fall? You think God was surprised when that happened? If he is, then we've got a God who is less than what we think. No, he knew full well. And it is part of his plan. It is part of an ordaining. Yet he's totally away from sin. If he couldn't stop him, then that means Satan is more powerful, and I am really scared to death that that be the case. Or they are equal. Who's going to win this battle? My Bible tells me, but. Uh, how how do I know that? If Satan is just as big as God is and can can do that. Satan is a created being. And he is a pawn in the hand of God. God is absolutely sovereign and Satan only can do what God allows him or tells him to do. So, uh, God also let him tempt Adam and Eve. If he wouldn't have let Satan fall, then he would not have had anybody to tempt Adam and Eve, and they would have been remaining in their innocence without sin. Do I want sin to happen? Of course not. I don't like sin, right? Everybody hates sin. But somehow it works in God in His His plan. And try to tell me what that means. How unsearchable... Are his decrees? Listen, these decrees that we're getting into are so deep. This is deep stuff, and most people don't even want to touch this. I can't blame them. Why did God plan salvation the way that he did? Yeah, well, yeah, you're cheating. (laughs) Matter of fact, all of these probably can be answered, and that's what we're going to go to on uh, next. And that'll be the first thing when we do when we talk about the characteristics of God's decrees. <laughs> She's known me too long. Okay. Uh, why did God plan salvation? Would we have ever thought of this kind of salvation? Salvation is. Amazing, And the more you think about it, it's so easy that a three, four, five year old can understand it. Jesus dies for your sins. And He takes them away. And you now are in His family. Forever. It's eternal life. And they can understand those things if God is working on their little hearts. And yet it's so profound, it goes so far beyond anything we can imagine. Who would have ever thought of faith alone? You say, well, that makes sense. Believe in Christ and you'll be saved. Bible says that. Yeah, but what... Uh, and it's true. But we always have to go further. What, what are we saying here? Faith alone <clears throat> means your faith is... It's going to have to be there because your righteousness sure won't. And humans always think of good works, good deeds, good actions, just being good. Good behavior, right? And that'll get you into heaven or nirvana or whatever it is. Just be good. Be kind to people and love them. And yet, we know that People naturally really can't do that. And so when we think of, you know, we think of earning things here in this world. You get a paycheck. You get a paycheck and you go, uh, uh, wow, that's something that uh, is amazing. Wow, and you get really re- rejoicing about it. You're jumping up and down. Uh, no, you probably don't. Because Why? You actually deserved this. You knew it was coming. You worked for it. You should get it. And that's true. And that is the way that people think. And that's right. That's kind of how it's designed here. You have to work for a living. Usually that's the way it works. Some people have a little bit different than that. But as a whole, that's the way that it works. I think God kind of set that up, didn't he? But, um... Yet it's unsearchable to us because we have no good works, we have no good deeds, there's nothing about us at all that God is attracted to. We don't resemble God whatsoever in anything that's good because Jesus said there's only one who is good, that being God. So what do we have here? Well, we have a plan that is based upon God's love His mercy, His grace. No one is good, but He can apply that because of what He did, sending His Son to the cross to die for the sins. Nobody would have thought of that. Nobody here would have ever come with that. And it's His righteousness that's going to be put on you because you have no righteousness. And if you said that to many people today, they would say, hey, 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 stop that. There's some good things about everybody, right? Talking about salvation, there's nothing, there's nothing, no one good. So we move on. The next one is, what about election or reprobation? And a lot of that we, we understand with what God has given to us on that. And there's a lot of things in there. We can go through all the Scripture. That's not what our point is. And, uh, that was part of Romans 9. You read Romans 9 and you go, uh, Jacob and Esau and such. And you go, How unsearchable are His decrees. The grand doctrine of the elect and the lost. Well, why did he ever want anybody to be saved anyway? It's a good question. Can you answer that one? That's pretty deep, isn't it? Well, I know. For his glory. (laughs) But, look at the ones (coughs) that he does choose. Look at them. Just look around. Who in the world are we? We're nobodies. Unless you're a positive thinker and say, I am God. (laughs) Uh, what, What about this? What about this election and reprobation? Jacob over Esau. We saw that in Romans 9. What does Paul say? He gives you all the aspects, the doctrines, the truth on that. And he goes to expansive uh, <clears throat> descriptions of it, and you know what? Here he says, "How unsearchable are his decrees? How far could he go with it?" God chose the Jews. Why did he choose the Jews? Well, somebody might say, "Well, if he didn't choose the Jews, then he—it's like okay. Why didn't he choose the what? The Russians?" Actually. A lot of Jews are Russians. <laughs> why didn't he choose the Eskimos? Or going on and on with crazy things. There, the Jews were small in number. They were really, they were real, at one time they didn't even exist. <laughs> God, uh, because of Abraham started the Jewish race. So why did he do that? What a decree he has here. Why didn't he start with a nation, an empire? You know, why didn't he take the Assyrians and use them to get to the rest of the world, right? You would think God would first save, let's say, how about the Gentiles, the Romans? Why not save a Roman governing authority? Or how about the Greeks before them? How about Alexander the Great and the great rulers of that time? Why didn't he take those Greeks and all their philosophy that they had and use those guys to get to the rest of the world? Why didn't he do that? Because he never decreed it that way. Do you think the thought crossed his mind? I don't know. But that, that's not what he had in mind. So probably not. Wasn't his decree, wasn't his will, was it? All the philosophers, the government authorities that were existing at the time of Christ and Paul and such. And you know what? They were called the influencers. You hear that today? You have the influencers on social media. The influencers were the philosophers, the ones who communicated. People looked at them with great respect and they wrote books. And they wrote books and people were just amazed at all the things they came up with that they couldn't even understand because there was no understanding. It, it was man's wisdom. Uh, but you know, if, they could, if He come to them, then they could have influenced the common people. That's the way that we would think. Start from the top down, and then you can go to those guys. You wouldn't start with people that know nothing. But God chose the foolish things of the world as he says in Corinthians. Not many mighty, not many noble. You see, his ways are not our ways. You know what he did? He he sends Paul to Corinth. It's a major city. It's a major seaport. You know what that means? The despicable, the offscourges of society go through there. You think of uh, sailors and such with all their despicable language. The drunkenness and all the things that go with that. And uh, Paul was sent there to bring forth the Gospel. Would you have ever thought of that? Oh no, don't don't go there. I mean, that's going to New York City. It's going to San Francisco. (laughs) Don't have to think very hard. It's going to Seattle. Going to Miami, Vegas. All right, everybody knows that. Sin City, right? Yeah. Chicago, East St. Louis, right? That's that's Corinth. It's all wrapped up with all of those kind of cities into that one. What about election and reprobation? That's what he did. He had the uh, he had the elect there. How about? Rome. He always wanted to go to Rome. only thing is, it's kind of funny, Paul wanted to go to Rome, and God says, and he went for years. Went to these other places, but his whole destiny was Rome. You know, that's the capital of the world. Why wouldn't you go there? Paul was even thinking, and you know what? He did wind up going there. But God did it much later in his ministry. And It was through being arrested and put in prison. That's what God did. Does that make any sense? God ordained that. That's a decree. I don't think anybody here would disagree with that at all. Matter of fact, I think even the modern evangelical church would say, yes, that was God's will. And Paul, the way that he got saved, that was God's will. Because Paul, who was Saul, was not looking for Christ to enter into his life. He tried to kill those people, persecuted them. God's decrees. So why would God use Saul of Tarsus? That he would become a Christian? And an apostle? And this is what God does. This is His decision. He is free to decide those things that seem so opposite of what we would do and what we would be about. Admit it. There's not one person in the world ever would have ever come up with any of these things. Oh, how unsearchable are his decrees. Does that make sense? Let's go on with this now. Let's look at the characteristics of God's decrees. We've said God's decrees. What is it, really? It's, it's saying, here's what I'm going to do. This is what I'm ordering up, right? Now, in the times that we live in, it's probably any time in human history, but in the times we live in, and in the modern evangelical church of our day, I know I say that all the time, The glory of God is not the main thing. Not the main thing. That's what it's all about. It's not the main thing. You'd say, well, why isn't it? If it were the main thing, did you know how healthy the body of Christ could be today? That people would actually have a hunger and a taste for it? You know when you give some people a taste for this? And they can't help but want more. But to acquire that taste, sometimes it takes a brave act to swallow that, because people say, oh no, I could never get into that. That's that's just too much. Can't do that. It's really about the needs of the people, and that's why you get these 20-minute, 30-minute sermon ads. They really sound good to people. It's really the tickling of ears. It really doesn't have anything to do with the gospel. Uh, It's about our happiness. And if we're not happy, then we move on, right? Uh, That's really what people want, I think, more than anything. Because even the Hollywood stars and the, the people that buy these $20 million homes, cars... To fill up their garages that are cars that are souvenirs and antiques and worth thousands and hundreds of thousands of dollars. They've got money that just doesn't stop. It's almost unfathomable. And yet they're not happy. They're looking for the next million to make them happy. And then they get that and what do they want? They want another million. I think in these days it's almost like another billion. You know, Million doesn't say it anymore. So, uh, even when we say we're thankful for salvation, sometimes, and we should be, it's biblical and we ought to be doing that. My, my, that's the absolute truth. But sometimes we focus that on ourselves. Jesus saved me. And that's really all we get past is that. Jesus saved me. I'm, I am now going to go to the kingdom, and it's I, 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 I. And it's important to feel good and have that happiness as, as Christians. And you know what? It's so man centered today that, and, and it always has been, we always will lean towards the man centered thought rather than simply for the glory of God. Have we ever done that? It's all about the glory of God. Why did God create the universe? Here's a man-centered thought, and you know what? There's some truth to it. God created this earth. It's so beautiful. It's so amazing. And He's given us all of these riches and the minerals, and He gives us oceans. He gives us beaches. I love that. He gives us mountains, and He gives us snow. If you don't like that, then hang around for a day or two in Missouri and you'll watch it melt. It's great to see that melting snow today. I'm so joyous about that, you know. And uh, you know what? Uh, God gave us a beautiful environment. No other planets have the environment that we have. And He made it really good for us. Now, Christians can say that. And you know what? Right? But why did He create the universe? so that we would have a great planet to live on? Well, uh, somewhere down the line, that comes in truth, yes. But Psalm 19.1 gets our thinking correct. Everybody knows Psalm 19.1? The heavens declare the glory of God. This is the characteristic of God's decrees. It's about the glory of God. The decrees that are so unfathomable, what do they do? They declare the the glory of God. That's why you have the doxology. Because when we say decrees, it takes in all of these things we have mentioned, plus who knows how many more. Why did Jesus come into the world? Well, I think we would say the most obvious, which is absolutely true, and it's in Scripture. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. And we talk about that all the time. Is it right? Oh, sure, absolutely. But really, I think we're so self centered and subjective that we don't go beyond that and we forget about the glory of God. Here it is the universe exists for God's glory. And it should always start with His will and His glory. The heavens declare the glory of God. Why do we always think, Jesus saved me? Yes, He does. Don't forget it. Tell people about it. Scream it out. But always be putting the glory of God in there some way. That's where we start, and that's where we end. And we came into this somehow, And there is no glory that we have to be a part of this. And so therefore it goes far beyond my intelligence or my faith. I decided, that's a despicable gospel thought. Just takes away and steals the glory of God. Because He did it. Now, that, the characteristic of God's decrees, what is it? It's number one, for God's glory. I mean, that makes sense, right? Number two, it's eternal. So therefore, we can't even... The best way we can do it, and I said it before, the divine counsels happened as He came up with a plan. As mankind is in sin, and it doesn't take Him by surprise, in this story, He's going to send His Son, His only Son... The Son is agreeing with us. The Holy Spirit is agreeing with this. These are the divine counsels. And at some point, because of the sin of mankind, God is going to send to earth His Son to die for His people that He had given to His Son so that their sins would be taken away and the righteousness of Christ would be put on them so that someday that they could spend eternity with Him. Have eternal life. To think of decrees being made in time and space, uh, we can even say before the foundation of the world, and what do you have there? Well, you don't have time. Uh, Can our minds search anything else out? Can you get outside the realm of time and think? You can. It's all linear. But God is eternal. There's no past, present, future to God, it's all part of that, and that's beyond our that is high, isn't it that's inscrutable uh, we can't understand it uh it, it it's like can you imagine some circumstance comes up that God has not thought about it's unseen and it occurs, and then God finds it necessary to do this see all of these things have already been thought out by God. You can say, wait a minute, that makes us robots. No, we're not robots. We are people. And we have minds. And we think. He's given us a mind to think. And he says, I command everyone, everywhere, to repent of their sins. That's a command to everybody. And yet at the same time, We look at something here and he sees sin happening with Satan and then Adam and Eve. He's got to do something about it. Well, he's already taken care of that. Can you understand that? And he makes the decrees of who's going to be his and who's not. It's eternal. He did it before the creation of the world and not in time and space. Wisdom is a characteristic of the decree of God. God's perfect wisdom issues in what He does. His wisdom is evident. When you look at creation, you see the great wisdom of God. You start thinking of the animals that He made, the mountains, the oceans, the beaches, the beauty, the falls, waterfalls, and canyons, and on and on and on, how beautiful it is, my, that gives us an opportunity to praise God, and we start thinking about His wisdom, every part of creation had to do with His wisdom, let's look at Psalm 104, 24, 24. How numerous are your works, O Yahweh! Exclamation point. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your possessions. How numerous they are. He has wisdom, and then he decrees. He uses that wisdom. He decrees that this would be that way. It's evident in every part of creation. Number four. He has the freedom to decree. He has freedom of the will. It's His will always to do good. God's freedom is infinitely above the creature. Mankind today has a problem. that's come along in the last century and it's called the free will of man. I think it's always been there with man, but we have really had it taught to us in schools, that kind of philosophy. Uh, God's free will always goes over any other kind of freedom. I will say there is a freedom of the will in a sense as defined by Jonathan Edwards. A natural man has a free will. He can choose, he will always choose what his inclination is according to his nature, And we know that a man's nature cannot choose God. He will never choose God. He will not because he cannot. And so he always chooses things that will not give glory to God. And people will say, well, they have free will. Well, they have free will to choose those things that are not glorifying God. And that's their capacity. That's as far as they can go. So therefore, there is a free will for them to do that, but they do not have the free will to choose Jesus Christ. They cannot. God has to do a work in them. But see, God has free will. He has the freedom to choose, the freedom to ordain completely. He has the freedom to decree one thing and not another. He can do that. That's part of being God. That's what's the beauty of the glory of the decrees of God. Number five, they're absolute. Unconditional are the decrees. Whatever He does, does not depend on any condition that may or may not come. Never depends upon that. God ordains, whether it's active or whether it's passive, it is certain. Let's go into point two. It's called the ways or past finding out. And because we have defined decrees or judgments, spending all that time on it, this makes sense after that, how unsearchable are his decrees and unfathomable his ways. The way that he does it. The path that he chooses to do it. He makes a decision and he, he has a method to do it. He has a plan, he has a method, it's his dealings, it's his ways, or it's his path. Paths. Did you see? Your translations might have some of those words that I just put forth. Uh, he uses methods opposite of what we would ever even expect. He has methods or ways that are way beyond finding out. I think the King James has that. Ways. It's beyond ways finding out. And it's the picture of a path or a way or tracing a path. Take uh, the example of the hunters back at that time. They tracked down an animal. There would be the imprint of the foot of the animal. And they follow that until finally they find their prey. Well, people today, they, they uh, shoot a deer. deer doesn't always go down, usually doesn't, leaves tracks, leaves blood. There's something there that you trace out and finally find what you killed. In this case, it cannot happen. We cannot find that path. The footprints that are there don't take us to what the depths are. It's untrackable, untraceable. Go to Psalm 77, I like this one, where it compares it to the water of the oceans and such. Are there paths out, out in the ocean? Psalm seventy-seven nineteen. Your way was in the sea. And your paths, there's the word, in the mighty waters. Do you see way? Waters are paths. But your footprints are not known. You can't find footprints out in the ocean of the ways that maybe somebody took a path, right? A path, a, a way, and it compares it to the sea. We cannot know the his ways. We don't know his ways in that sense. God does not always act directly. He does it in indirect ways. He does the opposite. Let's take, for instance, he uses his enemies to punish, to discipline his own people. Sometimes he does an amazing work. And we've been studying on our Tuesday night study Habakkuk, and uh, God says, you will not believe what I'm about to do. You're going to be amazed at my work. And his work was that he's going to bring on the Iranians, the Iraqis, and just punish his nation and destroy Jerusalem and the temple, and lead many of them out of there and take them back to Babylon That is God's ways to destroy His people, at least for the time being, temporarily. He raises up a pagan nation to destroy His own people. That's God's paths, His ways. How unsearchable. He uses unbelief of the Jews, as he says in Romans 11, to bring the Gentiles to salvation who were wicked, despicable, evil people the Corinthians, the Romans, name any city out in the pagan world. And he used the Jews and their unbelief and then takes it to the Gentiles. And then the Gentiles in the future will be used by God to make the Jews jealous and he saves the nation. He used Gideon. Gideon had an army that he could use of 32,000. God kept boiling it down to 300 and actually He didn't even need 300. He could have gotten down to just one and actually not even Him. God just could have done them Himself. But He uses 300 here, Gideon. Uh, A trumpet in one hand and a pitcher with a lantern in the other. That's how they defeated the enemy of thousands and thousands. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? Uh, the footprints of God. Abraham was a pagan, worshiping pagan gods. Uh, he used Abraham in a way that is the strangest thing. Uh, he did not have... Abraham, Abraham meant father of many. That's how he walked around for decades. Father of many. Father of many. People would ask him, oh, well, how many do you have? <laughs> have any. And then God changed his name to Abraham, father of multitudes. And he had Ishmael. So he, they would say, "How many? How many do you have?" One. And then God waits till he's way past the age. Who would have thought of that? That's craziness. No, it's not. It's God's decrees. Because he thinks a lot differently than we do. For a lot of reasons. Moses, it was like 80 years old when he decided to use him. He had been on the backside of the desert for 40 years. He worked one of the poorest jobs you could do as uh, being a shepherd. From a shepherd to a shepherd of 2 million people. A shepherd of sheep to all these people. Israel, we covered that. David being chased around all that time. God promised him he'd be king. And there's Saul trying to kill him. Why does God do that? David's hanging out in very humble ways, living in caves and holes and wherever he could hide from the king, chasing him down. Jesus. How would you have sent your son into the world? Well, I guarantee you, you would not have sent him to a stable. People would be thinking, I'm going to send him to Rome, i will to have him be born in the palace. Wouldn't that, be, wouldn't that make sense? We would have him made a person of wealth and influence, We would have had him write just hundreds of books. We would have had him being trained up by the best educators in the best schools, being trained by the best philosophers that were all in the uh, Greek-Roman world. No, he came in a very humble way. He lived in the most humblest ways, and he died the worst way that you possibly could by the cross. He had a very common life. He didn't even look like Hollywood that would draw people to him. Uh, Didn't have the money. Didn't have the influence. People did go to him. But uh, can you imagine if, as he did get killed on the cross, okay, say, okay, okay, uh, I want the influencers of the world now to take the message across the world. Let's get the Roman rulers, get the Caesar on your side, the highest religious people of the world, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Let them get in on it and let them take this truth of the Gospel to the world, out to Rome and on past the news. Well, you see, he used what he called a very foolish way of preaching. It's the foolish thing of preaching. Preaching is what God uses to show who He is. That's the way. That's the method that He used. They ordained this kind of method. That's why we do what we do. We don't come up here to tell stories, but we preach the gospel, the deep truths of God. And so the foolishness of preaching was used by God and He used simple men like fishermen, farmers, a tax collector, people that nobody wanted. They were outcasts. They were nobodies. And look at us and this is what He uses. People just like us all across the world. That's what He uses to further the Gospel. And that's how... 2023, 20, we sit here, we stand here. Realizing that God has used that always, that's, that's, that's what he used to draw us to him. The foolishness of preaching. Uh-oh. Fathom that. And you know how many people how many Christians hate the idea of preaching? Even preachers like to say, I'm not a preacher. I'm just a facilitator. I don't want any part what you guys are doing. I don't know what you're doing, but I don't want it. Preaching the Word of God. Well, despite the way that God's decrees can puzzle us, and they do, don't they? How little we understand. But would we wish it to be any other way? Would you like for it to be a way that you can understand the deepest of all the truths? Would we prefer salvation to be something that we decided? Well, people do that today. Most of the churches believe that. And they also, most, uh, over 50% of them believe you can lose that salvation too. Does that sound like a God who decreed this already? It's going to happen? So His decrees to them are what? Nothing. This is why they don't talk about it. If they talk about the decrees, they have to talk about what we just did. Why do we do what we do? Because it's scriptural, and that's why sometimes we take a little more time than maybe I ought to. <laughs> but it's so delicious—not my words, but God's are. Um, would we prefer salvation become something we decided rather than God's decree and choice? I'm going to read this paragraph. It's not very long. We're about about done, guys. We'll close it off with this here. B. B. Warfield, a little over a hundred years ago. A Princeton theologian, and that's really where almost all your seminaries, uh, colleges started. They all, all your colleges, actually were meant for people to minister the gospel. They were Christian, and I think out of the first seventeen that were uh, instituted, fifteen of them were Christian. Absolute, all Christian. Uh, Jonathan Edwards was at Yale. Here's B.B. Warfield from Princeton, what are some of the great places that you think of of the colleges today Well, people say Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Stanford, right? You think of all of those, they've all gone by the wayside. They put out just absolute ridiculous foolishness. They have nothing to do with the Word of God. Warfield said this this time, This is an essay that he wrote. Do we really wish it to be true that no man in the decrees of God is particularly predestined unto eternal life? Do we really wish that? Second question, do we really wish it were dependent on our own strength whether we ourselves enter into eternal life and abide in that life? Do we wish it was some other way? Do we really wish it to be a vague and uncertain number of people who are predestined to eternal life? Like God doesn't know himself. It's up to the people to choose him. There would be nobody there. But would people like that? Well, evidently they do. Because most denominations that I know of believe that. Do we really care little or nothing whether it be the everlasting arms or mercy our own or our own weak arms that we rest on in our own lives. Do you want his arms or ours? Do we really want to doubt that God's people are particularly and unchangeably designed to glory? And Their number is certain. Their number is certain and definite and cannot be diminished. Whatever number He had is going to be the same number, same people, no changes whatsoever of what He did before the foundation of the world in accordance with our Savior's words. That's Jesus. He said, They shall never perish. And no one is going to be snatched out of the Father's hand. They have been given to Christ from the Father and He will lose no one. Would we want it to be any other way? People that believe in losing salvation do. Everything we've talked about decrees much of the people saying they believe in Christ today would not want these things. It's up to you. What have we just done to God? Wow. But better than what Warfield said, God from all eternity did by the most wise and holy counsel of His will freely and unchangeably ordain whatsoever comes to pass. And better than that is this. How unsearchable are His decrees and unfathomable His ways. Father, great God, You are a holy God. We are in awe. It doesn't start with our needs, our happiness. It starts with who You are. And that helps define who we are. And Lord, if we trusted in you, our esteem is in Christ, not in self. But if we have not trusted in you, Lord, we've not trusted in Christ's work, then we find our happiness in our own self esteem. And Lord, that is sad, because that happiness will never be found. There is true joy in Christ, and Lord, I can't think of a better place to be than with Your people and talking about deep truths that actually go way beyond our thinking, but You've given us enough in the Word of God, with Your Spirit of God, to understand these deep things because You've given us the very mind of Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.